Want to discover leading strategies, share experiences and connect with fellow consultancy leaders from companies like EY, PwC or Porsche Consulting? Then join us in Munich for the Leaders in Consulting Conference on the 27th of June, a one-day event exclusively for consultancy leaders like you. Places are limited, so head to leadersinconsulting.com to claim your ticket now. That's leadersinconsulting.com. See you there. So, um, yes, growth um, uh, opportunity, um, let's say further also knowledge creation, because it is always, let's say, a multiplier effect, also the other way around. You can also learn from the other sectors and feed it back in into um, your original sectors. Um, these are certainly um, topics, but in the end, also from a, let's say, diversification um, standpoint, yeah, um, risk Uh, management and also, let's say, cyclical and non-cyclical business uh, counterbalancing. Um, this, this makes it certainly um, relevant and important to also extend uh, in different industries. Mm -hmm. um, why retail and consumer goods? Of course, it is a, a huge industry. It is very important. And um, as people may also understand, it is not so far away from our brand origin. When you look at Porsche as a brand, We, we have, of course, um, the cars, but we, we have also other consumer products in our lifestyle brands. And we are a B2C uh, company from, from the heart. Yeah, we have the passion, we have, we have the brand. So it is very close to our core business and origin. If not, it is our core business and origin to look um, at the side of very close B2C and, and retail business. Do you want to grow your business and learn best practices from other leaders in consulting? Then this is the place for you. Welcome to the Leaders in Consulting Show. This episode is powered by Sewoo, the company that can help you drive thought leadership, hiring and sales for your consultancy via LinkedIn. Check them out on sewoo.io, S-A-W-O-O.io. Today, I'm happy to have Sebastian Horst Engberding, Associate Partner at Porsche Consulting with us. Sebastian, welcome to our show. Yes, hello, Sammy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we know each other from, I think it's partners, no? It was like some, a couple of years ago when I was a freelancer um, after, after a couple of years having not been at Goods Partners, a consultancy in Germany. And, exactly, uh, it has been a long time. Yeah, yeah. And now you are at Porsche Consulting, so um, that's, that's a long way to go. Tell me about your business practice at Porsche Consulting. What are you focused on? Yes, uh, I am um, one of the uh, leadership members for our consumer goods and retail practice. We have different industry uh, industries that we are covering at Porsche Consulting. Uh, not always known to everyone that we are not only the captive of uh, Porsche or that we are not only covering, let's say, mobility services. Uh, and one of the also key industries is consumer goods and retail, and that's actually my focus area. Okay, very good. And um, so... That is your focus area. So what is your job exactly then um, as, as a leadership member of this retail practice? Yes, as a part of, of the leadership team, I'm responsible for the development of the consumer goods and retail practice, so content-wise. But of course, it is, let's say, client um, development, people development, and also practice development. So innovation topics, uh, new topic generation, ETC. Okay. Very comprehensive. So the, the basic job of a partner, so to say, you have to win your clients, exactly. you have to keep in touch with existing clients, run some projects, win talent, develop talent, and so on and so forth. Exactly. Okay. And can you give us a proxy of the size and growth of uh, Porsche Consulting in general, and maybe also your, your practice? Yes. Um, so on Porsche Consulting, I can say that um, we make uh, more than 200 million revenues. I think we were also top five, at least in Lars Lundonk, um, of the German-based consultancies. Mm -hmm. um, we are um, yeah, um, present in uh, Europe, uh, Northern and uh, South America, and also in China. Mm -hmm. uh, that's our um, key focus. And we have approximately 850 employees. Mm -hmm. um, we are growing double digit year on year. Um, so I think one of the fastest growing consultancies, since we also, of course, enforce our jump into the external business, so everything that is not Porsche itself or also not mobility. 
And um, within our practice, um, I can say that we serve more than 200 different clients. So um, for the consumer goods and retail industries from um, goods leading uh, small medium enterprises uh, to also multinational corporates uh, with various topics from operations to strategy. And also there we have strong growth uh, within the last year. So winning new clients, new topics. Mm -hmm. how, how many um, consultants do you have in, in your practice? So overall, globally, in consumer goods and retail, we are about 80 consultants. Okay. So it's already like a decent-sized consultants if you look at it as, as, um, as a standalone practice, so to say. Yes, of course, we are by, by far not, not the biggest, but uh, I think uh, everyone or most people in consulting can say it is not, not the, the amount of people or let's say the revenue size, it's about the quality and uh, we have we've grown steadily and sustainably. And uh, yes, it is a significant size also in our practice. Yeah. Very good. Um, can, you, can you tell us what your average project size is and what your um, ideal customer profile for the retail uh, cons consumer goods and retail practice is roughly? So, so starting with, with the latter one, um, uh, let's say in, in retail and consumer goods, it is a wide array of, of, of clients we are serving. We say, um, yeah, the, the, the leading uh, or top also small, medium enterprises, um, normally starting with around 300, 400 million uh, euros of revenue approximately. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, there is then the no limit. As you can imagine, when we talk about the multinationals, let it be um, in consumer goods, but also the big retailers. It can easily go in two or even three digit billions in uh, revenue, mm -hmm. um, what we cover as clients. Um, furthermore, um, uh, the, the project size also differs, um, of course, um, not only depending on the client size, but on the topic. We have classical um, strategy topics, which of course have a higher average day rate, uh, less consultant days, um, but we also have more operations uh, focused topics um, which last longer, have lower average tickets, but but overall bring a bigger revenue. Yeah, of course, when we have prolonged projects, yes. so it is. Let's say, as in most other consultancies, without giving now the exact numbers, somewhere between uh, two hundred thousand euros tickets to up to yeah several millions. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Um, now it's it's really interesting because in the end, um, and, and you can correct me if I see it wrong, but if you if you're building up um, a, a practice, it's almost like being an entrepreneur in a in a bigger company. Um, and and I asked myself, of course, why is Porsche Consulting building up a retail unit? Yes. So um, let me start with the very obvious part. Yeah. So when when you already start a consulting business, you're always looking for growth opportunities. So once in a while, you also look beyond your own boundaries and your own sector and think, can't we basically leverage our knowledge that we gain, for example, in the automotive industry in other industries? The answer, by the way, clearly is yes. I think that um, um, there is very good examples that can be leveraged in different industries, not only retail or consumer goods. So um, yes, growth um, uh, opportunity, um, let's say further also knowledge creation because it is always let's say a multiplier effect also the other way around you can also learn from the other sectors and feed it back in into um, your original sectors um, these are certainly um, topics but in the end also from a let's say diversification um, standpoint yeah um, risk uh, management and also let's say cyclical and non-cyclical business uh, counterbalancing um, this this makes it certainly um, relevant and important to also extend uh, in different industries mm -hmm. um, why retail and consumer goods of course it is a, a huge industry it is very important and um, as people may also understand it is not so far away from our brand origin when you look at porsche as a brand we we have of course um, the cars but we we have also other consumer products in our lifestyle brands and we are a B2C uh, company from, from the heart. Yeah, we have the passion, we have, we have the brand. So it is very close to our core business and origin. If not, it is our core business and origin to look um, at the side of very close B2C and, and retail business. And this nice. is why it also makes sense from, from a brand perspective. Yeah. Makes, makes sense if you think about it a little bit, yeah. Um, oh, I forgot to ask one important thing as an intro. Um, do you drive a Porsche? 
Um, yes, actually, I do. Um, of course, um, we we have the option in our company to to also get get a Porsche as a company car, just as a fun fact. Uh, and and I think we will come to that point later uh, when we talk about uh, let's say in incentivation or also Gen Z aspirations. I've never been, let's say, uh, the real let's say uh, a petrol head. Yeah, in the past, before I got the car, I first signed the contract and and decided for Porsche Consulting. I was very um, yeah, captured by by uh, um, the emotions of the brand. So it's not so much about I have a nice car, yeah, which you could think, but it is a very nice, uh, let's say, stronger link again to the brand identity and what Porsche stands for, also the passion and um, the power in the end and excellence. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I can relate to that, um, and in the end. Um, I, I'm not driving a Porsche, but I'm driving another German car and it is good quality and it, it lasts really long. And whenever I I uh, jump into my car and start driving, I feel like, oh, that is really cool. Um, so I, I kind of relate to what you're feeling on a totally different level, of course, um, but uh, that's that's cool. And um, so let's go back to the topic of building up the retail unit. Um, Sebastian, what steps uh, do you take or did you take to build up the unit up to now yeah it is of course uh, several aspects you need to look at so um first of all um uh, as we always say it is a people business so most important thing is to get the right people to really make such a practice work so i'm constantly um recruiting um so listen uh, up if you look for a job <laughs> yes exactly and and on all levels from from uh let's say students from university bachelor's masters up to also experienced hires Uh, up to the uh, senior managers or principal levels, um, we are we are open and look for good candidates um, in our practice. Um, this is one of the uh, key important parts, of course, hiring, but also training and coaching. So currently, I'm also developing certain training formats internally together with with my colleagues. Um, let it be on let's say industry uh, expertise uh, or related topics, uh, or also um, rather vertical topics, service topics that I can bring in from my experience that also add to the portfolio of Porsche Consulting. Um, uh, secondly, of course, is um, the client development. So, of course, I also bring in my contact network and uh, try to leverage basically the, the Porsche brand and legacy. So what is there? There are certainly also topics that are not or were not part of my core competency that I can leverage now for my existing clients and vice versa. I bring in clients and also topics that can be um, leveraged and developed for Porsche, which at the at the past or in the past did not exist. And um, together, um, or to fill this also with some 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 content, of course, it is a lot of IP development. Mm -hmm. So intellectual properties, so writing papers, uh, developing new services and products, also in close collaboration with our other um, competence centers with other partners within our firm or also some of our um, strong allied um, businesses. So, for example, MHP, which is also a, a consulting uh, business rather focusing on the IT side of, of the metal or also Deconium, um, also a, um, let's say, associated or let's say partner um, brand within the Volkswagen group um, that is very strong in the digital business as well. So we have very strong links and collaborations um, to really also create things that, that other firms um, uh, may not um, uh, develop in the same way, same depth, um, uh, or as holistically as we can do it also together with these partners. Mm -hmm. And uh, just also as a little preview, there will be some publications, maybe also some uh, speeches or topics also um, from our practice within the next few months. Mm -hmm. Very nice. And what I like strategy-wise, what it just said is that um, that uh, the VW group um, is basically building out this practice and looking at it holistically. So it has a strategy side, it has a, um, a execution IT side, so to say, and then it has uh, the deconium side, which is, I think, also focused on IT, if I'm not wrong. How would you describe deconium? It is... I would rather say it is more on the on the digital part. Yeah, let's say digital strategy, data heavy. So data analytics, mm -hmm. digital strategy, and I hope the the colleagues from Deconium don't 
<laughs> blaming the end if I if I explain it the wrong way. Certainly, I I think it is best described with rather the the front end part of of digitization from my mm -hmm. point of view. Okay, and uh, also data analytics capabilities. We have our internal data um, experts, of course, but um, since uh, Deconium has also very strong uh, sides there. Lots of experience and track record. Um, we of course collaborate there with them on also service development. Okay, um, so so they are more the um, the front end digitization guys, so to say, at the Conium and MHP. How would you describe them? MHP for the me is the the classical IT implementation firm. I okay. would say, and also okay. there to, to the colleagues. I hope I did not did not uh, put it the wrong way. If I am on a project and typically I'm rather you know, uh, working on the business side, I define, for instance, a, a loyalty strategy. Yeah, I set up now a loyalty strategy pattern for a firm uh, with everything, all the mechanics behind the business case, etc. Somewhere, of course, I need to link um, to the IT. And somewhere I also need to link to something that I would call data capabilities analytics, because When I link it to the IT, I would look at a CRM system. Yeah, I would be still on the, let's say, support side for defining the business requirement. And I would maybe also support a handover to the IT. But some at some certain point in time, it has to go to the IT. There must be, let's say, someone who then also selects the right system for the business requirement and implements it. And on that side, I would rather see MHP. When it comes to really developing a, for example, customer data platform and the required analytics and bringing things together. For instance, having, let's say, um, really, let's say customer data platform, yeah, like, like, like a Google um, a, a cloud solution um, in between that combines different data sources that again feeds back to my strategy, gives me insight. I think there I would rather see Deconium, but This is my, my current current perception or how I'm discussing with these different different parties and how I basically also would um, uh, develop these, these services together with them. So I, I think here um, the uh, the three companies together, so to say, as a whole, um, do, do something really, really well. Um, because uh, on the one hand, I see the consulting companies focused on digitization, including execution, growing very, very fast. Um, very fast, I mean, like almost doubling from last year to this year. Um, and uh, like, okay, on a, on a small scale from 100 to 200, but still I see a couple of companies like Omex, E-Tribes uh, growing really fast there. And I see the trend to uh, capturing um, basically the execution side of things um, where bigger companies like, for example, interviewed um, The, the former partners of Bakari Management Consulting um, or the, the managing partner there. And they were bought by Genpact. It's a big um, ex execution company when it comes to like um, call centers and so on and so forth, I think. And and much more, of course. But they're they basically, when it comes to supply chain, they're, they're on the execution side. And um, and combining this gives you the access to, to the interesting clients with the strategy. Usually you make some money, but that is not the biggest uh, windfall for these companies. It's the execution where you, as you said in the beginning, you don't have these big rates, but you stay there for a couple of years or you may be even the out, be the outsourcing partner maybe sooner or later because you can do it more efficiently and so on. So um, both trends you capture here with these three companies. And um, I think this is, um, this is the way to go in the future. Yes, uh, certainly. And, and let's say uh, what, what you also describe also leads always to the question, how is the right operating model and the right incentivization? Because the different the business models of these different pieces are very, very, very uh, dispersed, yeah? very uh, uh, heterogeneous. So um, whenever you try to put it under one roof, um, the question is on how to basically manage different expectations and how to basically align also the incentivization. And just just um, from my own experience, it is also very important that um, you do not have um, too strong internal competition and say digitization and um, also, let's say, implementation focus um, is always, let's say, the way to go um, um, because the tickets are bigger, it's easier to plan and so on. And strategy is more or less, let's say, an alibi yeah, to, to, to get access maybe to the C-suit. And this could be in the worst, in the worst case, this could happen. Yeah. 
Um, and vice versa, if you just uh, insist on, uh, let's say, classical strategy and, and, and C-suite uh, consulting, and do not bring in the right knowledge and no execution, yeah, no executional rigor and not, not uh, a real result, um, you anyways have no uh, reason for existence anymore in 2022, uh, <laughs> to be honest. And this is also, um, let's say, what, what we say, um, uh, our, um, um, let's say, um, uh, vision and our, let's say, um, key tagline is always strategic vision, smart implementation. And of course, um, as a Porsche Consulting, we strongly come um, historically from operations. But of course, also in operations, you need to think beyond. So whenever it comes to digitization, when it comes to also IT implementation, we have the capabilities, but of course, we need to decide as a rather small or mid-sized player in consulting terms, maybe what do we do now under the brand of Porsche Consulting and internally, where is our major focus on with our resources and where do we basically collaborate because we, we need the knowledge and resources to really um, fulfill our claim. But it does probably not make sense to have it really in-house because the business model itself is too different and it would be in a certain way uh, um, internal competition and not working out that well. And this is really something I can just 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 tell and also see from, from other business models. Sometimes it's working better, sometimes it's not working that good, but I think we found a very smart and well-working way to deliver extremely good results, being very flexible about the resource management and having then the right focus for each specific question. Let it be rather from the strategy side where we can also always go beyond or let it be rather from the operational side where we can also give basically the context and define the strategy. I mean, it, it makes absolute sense also from, and, and that's the most important part from the customer side. Huh? So if I were a customer, I would like to know what is the, the, the what are the main main areas where I should focus on in terms of strategy. So what should I do as a company to survive the next 10 years and thrive? But then I, I want to um, have the execution support as well. It's nice that someone tells me, well, you have to implement a digitization strategy and you have to focus on A, B, and C. And then they go off and then you're alone. And um, well, um, how do you execute it? Yeah? Um, so I would like, if, if I were a customer, to be honest, I would like to have someone who tells me which, or helps me find the right way, not tells me where to go, but helps me find the right way. And then also ensures and is incentivized to execute on the promised results. Um, so that in the end, I have some, a, a trusted partner, so to say, that helps me, gets me by the hand, takes me by the hand and leads me from A to B without saying, well, okay, and, and this is the way and off you go by yourself. And that seems to be the way how, how your, your three um, parts of, of the consulting group of, of VW are working together. Did I summarize that uh, kind of uh, correctly? Yes, cor correctly. By the way, there's many more other, let's say, partners and firms involved also in terms of innovation. I mean, we have also other brands like, like Porsche Digital or Ventures and so on. So we can look at different also aspects, which is not necessarily directly linked to consulting business, but to other parts of, let's say, service development and real critical questions uh, that clients currently have where we can basically leverage our, our um, uh, resources as a big player, let's say our unfair advantage, yeah, so to say. And um, what you also said, and I think this is right, and, and, uh, and I just wanted to, 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 to also use the term, what we say internally is always, um, we are very entrepreneurial and we are a, a no bullshit company. So when, when you look uh, and you, you ask me about the car, when you see we, we, we bring these cars to the street. And um, so, so it means in the end, what we do, and not only, let's say, in, in the in the in the car business itself, but also in the consulting, is something um, uh, maybe not tangible, but something a real result um, that is measurable. And uh, this is very important to us and part of our DNA. And um, you can only do it exactly as you described when you bring together these different business aspects. Otherwise, um, it is either only paper or it is uh, a nice implementation uh, without a purpose. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's probably um, pretty interesting to be like uh, a partner at, at this uh, unit that you're building up, having all these uh, resources at hand and, and being able to really um, help a client um, win. Yeah. So I assume that's a lot of fun, no? It's, it's, it certainly it is. And 
Um, th this is what I also um, tell uh, people who I, I, I wouldn't say co convince, but who I uh, tell about also Porsche Consulting or when the question comes, why, why did you go to Porsche Consulting? Or why and should you I join Porsche, Porsche yeah, Consulting? Why, why should you join? Yeah? But particularly, and I heard it from, from some other colleagues who were also from retail and they said, we go to Porsche Consulting. And so they were really joining from, from the retail industry and they were asked, why do you go to Porsche Consulting? I mean, there's, there's, there's several reasons. Uh, what I would always say is, uh, apart from the fact that we have great people and a lot of excellence and knowledge now in the retail uh, uh, and, and also consumer goods business accumulated that we can leverage because we have also practitioners, former practitioners from industry, including myself. I also worked on the retail side in the past, not only in consulting all my life. Um, it is, let's say, the challenge. You have a great brand in the back you have maybe also certain expectation, which we need to sometimes also prove wrong, because as I said, it's not only automotive, it's not only operations. Yeah, we do retail and consumer goods as well. We do strategy as well. We do digital transformation. So it's 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 many things that people do not expect. And this is for me personally, um, the great challenge about it. I, I rather de develop something and this entrepreneurial spirit, which we have in the firm, which also Porsche stands for, is what, what got me basically um, into the firm, why I'm still enthusiastic about working there. And this is also what, what I try to reflect when I am asked. And I know there are certain different opinions and um, uh, it is not only a generational question, it's maybe also a question of um, the life cycle and, and the consultant's life. Um, but I would say we have a very good um, uh, uh, proposition and a very good place to work if you say you want to also work for a longer time in consulting. Um, we have many people with extremely long tenures because they love to work for the company, which is always a good sign. How long is the, uh, the average tenure or median tenure for, for Porsche? It is about 10 years. 10 years? Because on average, this is more like two to three years. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is much, much uh, um, shorter. So we have we have a, a much higher um, uh, average tenure. Respect and um, uh, and this is this is because we have many real real veterans. So I'm uh, at the moment, let's say the 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 exotic person within our partner group um, within the retail and consumer business. Um, so all my colleagues are with the firm at least for six years, most uh, ten plus years, and uh, some of them already um, had had started before within uh, Porsche AG before they then moved on to Porsche Consulting and then maybe switch from one industry to the other. No work. Yeah, for that's the advantage. Years. You can basically exactly. um, switch back and forth. Yeah. Exactly. You, you can you can also do that. And and this is this is uh, certainly um, one of the key things. So people love to work for the firm. Um, tenures are very high. Um, satisfaction, of course, is is uh, for, for most people high. You can never say for everyone it's high. And um, there's always people who are not satisfied with everything. But is it is a great place to work. And um, let's say the, um, the the development and the, the spirit within the firm to move uh, things forward, to further professionalize, to further grow, is great without being too, let's say, um, uh, uh, religious. Yeah, you have it in some firms where you have this typical uh, American style of of, of, of of communication. I just call American style a bit uh, overstretched. A bit too much of a uh, story, too much of, let's say, uh, big pictures. And there again, I go back uh, with a no bullshit company. Of course, we also use um, uh, a vision mission statement and we have our uh, leadership principles and all these topics, which, which, which constitute certainly also um, in the firm. But it always has a relation to, to reality and our daily business and doing. And um, besides, for those people who really want to build something, um, I know there's also maybe some other firms out there where you can also do this, but if you're passionate about, um, if you want to build something, you want to have this uh, basically unfair advantage because you also may feel passionate about the brand. Um, it is it is a very good setting. You're not starting from scratch with the structures, uh, but on the other hand, um, you, still have the space to develop something set set something new and have your like own an entrepreneur basically having more exactly. resources um, um and 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 power with a big company behind you but um yeah still being able to build something new um so i i like the concept definitely
So let's let's go to the side of um, how you are winning new clients as a so to say smaller practice up to now. Um, I mean, it's still big with 80, 80 people working, but still you probably want to grow much bigger over the next couple of years, I assume. So what tactics do you leverage to win um, new clients personally? So it is, of course, um, a broad uh, um, a spectrum of different uh, um, methods and, and, and things I do. Let's make it simpler. Sorry to interrupt. What are the top one or two things that work best for you? So um, first of all, it is, of course, to really have in-person meetings. Uh, luckily, we can have them now again. Um, so one to two um, um, personal meetings with um, decision makers from the consumer goods and retail industry per week mm -hmm. um, in different areas on different topics um, based on my existing networks, uh, old client relationships, um, and so on. But also sometimes alumni from universities, etc. Can we go into, into a little bit more detail here? I mean, it sounds so easy. Yeah, yeah. Then I have one, two meetings with decision makers and boom, and I have some other projects. But you have no meetings now and you want, want to have like these one to two meetings in the next couple of months. How do you do it in practice? Like, do you call them? Do you? Is it only people you already knew? Is it some people you don't know, but you get in touch with? Like, how do you really execute it in practice? It is um, pretty much, let's say, a mix of calling people where I have a direct contact. Mm -hmm. um, some people, uh, I write rather an email on a, let's say, monthly or quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. And I um, deliver some food for thought, you know, some ideas where I know it could be interesting for them in the current situation with also, let's say, the intention of having uh, a catch up. Let it be via email, let it be also a call. And uh, then it is, of course, some of the regular, uh, also from non regular meetings that, that I anyways have. Yeah? So, so I have some meetings planned already a quarter or so ahead, uh, almost ongoing for every year with certain people um, that I know either from, from my former job, from, from our projects, or also um, from alumni networks. So like a short fix on a, on a regular basis with uh, some clients exactly. just so that they learn something, what you picked up, and maybe you, you find some points where you can help. Exactly. With some clients, it's your fixes. And with some, it is more of an informal, let's say, meet and greet, uh, because it is in personal context that also work in the industry, um, where you can also get insights, discuss topics without having, let's say, the, the immediate um, return or project win, which, which, by the way, is also necessary, because, um, as, as I said before, it is happening so much uh, within basically all industries, but particularly at the moment also in retail. I um, really love these conversations, get also the insights, talk to practitioners, because in the end, when you are in your own business and, and said, I also need to, 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 to build certain things, you cannot have your eyes and ears everywhere. So it's very important to stay also there in contact and see what the, what the current issues and topics are, what are also certain points of view mm -hmm. on trends and, um, and developments. And uh, when you... Uh, when you write this this email with some content, can you give us like uh, one example of the last couple of weeks or months, what you sent them as a food for thought or insight and how you basically try to maybe get a call out of this or a conversation? So um, one thing which I also um, lately um, posted as a point of view on, on, on LinkedIn, which I also um, used prior to, to um, let's say, the, the actual upcoming of the topic again, the media, um, was on the um, uh, on marketing on digital marketing, so um, uh, a, a point of view on basically getting rid of the, the 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 paper flyer or replacing it and shifting budgets of of marketing uh, into different channels. And this is not only let's say from not only from a sustainability and cost saving point of view, but also in in terms of making um, um, marketing spend more measurable. Uh, more effective, more customer-oriented and focused. Um, this is a topic that I um, more or less teased some of my contacts with, with a point of view and a certain, let's say, idea on how this could be approached. Because in fact, uh, I, I have done this also on the retail side and I also know exactly the downside. So I know exactly what, what the discussions are within the retailers. I've seen also the echo um, after, um, in this case, it was Obi and Rebe who, who uh, were the, the first movers. Someone has said, no, we will not go this way. I understand both sides. And I know exactly how the discussions are going on within the purchasing departments or the marketing departments within uh, the retailers. 
So it was um, a very um, 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 very focused uh, email. It was a short teaser document with a point of view, advantages, disadvantages. How could you do it? How do you hedge against the risk when you when you approach this um, without uh, having seen, let's say, all um, um, the preparations that, for example, Reva did? I had a certain opinion or point of view of what, what what they may have done, what I would have done, because I went through these discussions actually already some years ago. So I, if I were a, customer, a potential customer now, I received this email maybe with a PDF as far as I understood, with like just a few pages with exactly the content that you mentioned. And how do you get me to um, maybe replying and saying, hey, that's super interesting, Sebastian. Can we have a call? Like what's what's your call to action, so to say, in this email? So my, my call to action is is always um, dear uh, X Y um, in retail. Uh, luckily, mostly by first name. So yeah. uh, hey, how are you doing? Um, uh, I, I know this is a is a hot topic. Um, um, I went through it and uh, I thought uh, about it together with with my team. Here here's some ideas. Uh, let's let's have a short discussion on this. Yeah, um, if you feel or if you want uh, some 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 further information, let's let's meet. Um, this like is more or less a very direct call to action for for most um, uh, people where I would would say this and, and in places where I know it is relevant. It can be, of course, a bit more formal of um, let's say when it's rather new clients or more or less like like cold call. Yeah, um, I would represent it as um, uh, I, I've heard or I think uh, what is relevant for for Reva could be also interesting for you, for example. Um, uh, and and I have a certain idea about how to do it uh, and why it could make sense uh, yeah. uh, if I'm convinced to do it or um, how else you could maybe prepare to also go the same way in a, in a smart 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 mode. I, um, yeah, that is how I would do it. And uh, of course, it depends if I have the direct contact, so the email address, direct access, uh, maybe also together with a phone number where I can then also make make a quick call if people have not replied after a certain time. Or what is also very useful is, for example, Sales Navigator from from LinkedIn. Yeah, you drop yeah. drop an email, and uh, then of course you always get a notification. Uh, someone has opened the document or has read it, and uh, pretty often, once a person has read the document, it is rather likely, at least to my experience, that people at least give some kind of of response, at least when you have relevant content. You also mentioned that you do fireside chats uh, with with industry experts. Can you walk us through like how you get the people to attend? What what is a fireside chat for you? Is maybe first how you get people to attend and how like an agenda for a fireside chat uh, looks like and what you get out of it. Yes, the fireside chat for us is an exclusive event where we um, invite some of our clients or some prospective clients. Uh, to discuss together with us uh, a certain topic that uh, can differ. Yeah, um, we have um, fireside chats rather also for uh, consumer goods producers, SMEs. We have some fireside chats uh, which are particularly, for example, on smart factory or smart supply chain, um, so more production uh, heavy, or we have fireside chats which are more uh, relevant to the retailers. So in the end, of course, we have uh, within our partner group, we have a list of um, direct contacts and um, let's say past clients, uh, active or inactive. Um, and of course, some prospective clients where we have some some link to. Uh, it is not always that we just say, hey, we, we need to have one or two new people uh, sitting there. It is rather about the right, let's say, chemistry within these meetings that you have also potentially opposing views. So what is also interesting, for example, if you bring together the uh, production side, so consumer goods and retailers on a certain topic. Now, at the moment, this is in, in some instances rather critical regarding the discussions about uh, purchasing uh, prices and inflation. And nevertheless, um, you design an agenda uh, pretty much around one topic. Um, we um, normally make a short teaser, a point how of view. How, sorry to interrupt, how do you design the agenda? Um, the agenda is normally that we um, have a certain topic, maybe also a, a, a case study, mm -hmm. uh, anonymous, um, and uh, we bring it in as a, a point of view, for example, or we just discuss a topic based on the paper, for example. We are currently also writing several papers and, and, and several um, uh, insights. And then we present excerpts from it, or let's say the, the, the key points, and we then start a discussion. So the agenda is pretty much uh, based on 
very short introduction and point of view from our side and more on the interaction with the participants, so the clients or potential clients to share their point of views. Um, because this is not only for, again, not only for direct acquisition, but it's also a good learning opportunity for everyone in the room. It's also a good networking opportunity for everyone in the room. So, and fireside chats are, are physical meetings for you, no? Um, they were for, for a long time also virtual. Um, okay. But of course, uh, physical is normally better. Yeah, we we um, we can also um, uh, uh, or we also in the past uh, did some um, let's say hybrid meetings, but let's say the preference and um, the the key um, is normally to have this very um, uh, close uh, um, and 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 also let's say um, uh, confidential atmosphere rather being in one room sitting together and um, um, getting all, say, the, the facial expressions and, and so on. Yeah, I really like what you're doing and to dissect it a little bit because you do some things inherently well. That seems so easy when you say it, but many consultancies I talk to don't get it. Um, so it starts with um, segmenting the people the right way. So you're not throwing in anyone who's a leadership, uh, who has a leadership role in retail or consumer goods because they have totally different topics that they have to tackle. They have totally different problems that they have to tackle. So you're really subsegmenting your target group so that if you bring those people together, they have, they can have a fruitful discussion with one another. And, and that is already, even if you wouldn't bring any topic from your side, that even if they just are by themselves in this room, they probably could um, get so much out of it that they say that was an amazing meeting. And that is a lot of work that you have to do up front. Um, and also you have to understand what the, uh, like, who could fit together as you do it uh, correctly. And, and if you do that right, you win already. Yeah. If you do that wrong, that's going to be a horrible event. Uh, if you have people who cannot have one conversation about any, any topic and um, yeah, everyone uh, thinks it's a waste of time. So that's, that's something you do really well. And, um, and then as you said, these, um, because we do kind of the same for, for our company and parts of our clients, we organize it as well. We call them meetups basically, but it's physical events where we tried out several things. Um, and what we noticed is it's not really that important. What I mean, the topic maybe brings the people, but not only the topic, but also if you distribute the list of people who already accepted, once you have the first two, three people, uh, they're, they're basically the, the flagship people who, who attract all the other ones. And um, so the, the formula that we found is... Um, location that is not the, the normal type of location so not a hotel or something and then just standing tables uh, something to drink also alcohol um, and non-alcoholic beverages and some nice uh, snack and then over the next two three hours people usually are a little bit tipsy they they're more uh, easily approachable they get to know each other they exchange cards and it happened for example in the last meeting that like two of these um, it was only seven people that attended an hour meetup they hugged me because I mean, it was so cool and so easygoing that um, like partners and MDs of consultancy start to hug me, which I thought that's interesting. That's what that that's something I would do with my friends, but it didn't feel uncomfortable. So that's a nice atmosphere that you can create. And I assume that um, it's it's kind of the same for you if you have these physical events that you create an atmosphere that is so so nice and natural that um, people go out of there and say that was a really really nice. Um, Nice event, and I get something out of it. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think this this is also a very important. Um, uh, we we try to vary a, a bit, uh, also with the locations and with the settings. Um, um, it can be also within the Porsche context. It can be also a bit more of a, um, uh, let's say, more office-like, uh, but also different event context. And um, it it should it should be basically both. It should be on the one the confidential and exclusive events but on the other hand it shouldn't be like um uh, let's say entirely locked uh, locked in uh, event where, where it feels feels too dense yeah it should be also um uh, easy conversations open conversations and uh creating that right atmosphere is uh, is, is always um, um the, the challenge and if you do it right as you also described it um yeah things work out and uh the discussions flow yeah, and I really always get out of these meetings with us. How many people attend usually? I forgot to ask. 
Oh, that, that's also a bit different uh, per topic, but we try, um, depending on, let's say, the topic area, to have 10 to 20, um, maybe up to 30 people. Yeah, When it's these bigger, like, for example, cross-industry topics, it can be significantly more, and it's not a fireside chat, but it's really like an, uh, a f full day or a day event that I, I wouldn't, uh, let's say, classify as fireside chat anymore. Um, so we also have these these topic meetings. But on the, um, let's say, um, the fireside chats, it would be 10 to uh, 20 people. And per topic, we have on some in, in some topic areas and in some certain sub-sectors where the topic may be a bit, bit hotter at the moment than in others, we have uh, closer connections. So let's say we, we may talk then to, to, or we may invite 50 people and get 20. And in others, we may uh, talk to 200 and we just get 10. Yeah, it, it, it differs on the topic, on the on the subsectors, on the on the composition of the meetings. But um, let's say, um, as in most uh, most meetings, and I think preparations, uh, when you look at the funnel, maybe it's about twenty percent. Yeah, uh, yeah, we have roughly the same. Uh, funny enough, a totally different industry. Uh, for us, it's for example the consulting industry, but we have also ten to twenty percent um, attendance rate um, for for the events. Um, yeah, so. That's really something everybody can take away already. Um, so um, on the one hand, providing value through um, through direct like mailing or LinkedIn messages um, and give a soft uh, call to action if people are interested in talking to you. That's something everybody can start really right away. Um, and the second one is organize the fireside chat, but do the segmenting really well. Um, and then you you very likely have a really nice event already. Um, and don't make yes. it about your company. Uh, that's something that's um, you you do also really well. You you make it about a topic, not not Porsche consulting. Exactly. Yeah. So let's switch topics a little bit um, because you are kind of um, a younger partner, I would say, um, outside in uh, looking looking at you and knowing you. Um, so maybe you have a, a little bit a better connection to the generation set, so to say. And when I started consulting, and and I think we both had more or less the same experience. It was like a tough grind. I mean, it was usually um, Monday to Thursday with the client, which is normal, but really working really hard. And then arriving Thursday, sometimes even partying. That was when we were younger, or at least I was younger. And and then sometimes even working through the weekends. Um, and I have the feeling that uh, things are changing. And this old consulting lifestyle of working super hard uh, until exhaustion, and sometimes even having to like having to party because if you don't, you're kind of a wimp that that is changing um now i'm out of the consulting business for a longer time now but you're directly in and you have to attract and win this younger generations as well uh, what do you what, what kind of changes do you see and how does this impact on how you conduct business mm -hmm. so, so may, maybe as as a first point um i would never say that i'm very close to the gen z because i'm also a bit too old for that yeah but closer also, than i am at least and most yeah, exactly. other partners huh? yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly that's that, that's true and nevertheless i i think that um there is many things let's say that stand for the gen z and i would not say our oh, gen z is like this or that i think there are certain attributes or preferences which on average, uh, we see um, more prominent than in, in former generations. And again, there, where do you draw the line? Yes. Um, but I think uh, as a starting point, this is what you could also see in older generations. I mean, you also left the consulting business for a reason. And I was in between also out of the consulting business. It is when you also said, yeah, 10 years, maybe two to three years. Um, uh, preferences change and um, the, the consulting job when it was uh, as, as we started right, was more of let's say this this uh, um, work hard uh, play hard and uh, the longer you work the better um, I'm exaggerating a bit but you know you had you had some some nice benefits you were flying around and 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 uh, you, you just had a very attractive job with, with a third brand behind um, a certain let's say um, 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 image uh, that was nice you could tell people you're doing a very nice and cool job and this has changed and I think for for many people this has also changed in the past maybe after they worked in consulting for two three four five years maybe they when they reached the first very crucial step and they became a project manager or so on then they said okay now I've really worked a lot now I know also basically how to manage a client and an upward uh, manage manage a partner so I've seen a lot I learned a lot for life and maybe could also do different things either in the corporate or my own business so I will leave the business and I think now this thought process and this development uh, starts uh, uh, in Gen Z, 
maybe for other reasons before they even join. So what's what's your purpose? Um, what's your purpose in life? Incentivation, money, and um, let's say other tangible things um, are not, let's say, the only priority that give purpose, if we call it that way. Mm -hmm. But it is about a certain um, work, life, um, balance. It is about certain flexibility within the job. It is about recognition. It is certainly about topics like sustainability, uh, doing something for your community, um, uh, standing to certain values. Um, so there is many things come together so that overall, let's say, saying the image of the job, the money or overall incentive packages are less relevant, at least for the majority of people. And this is very important why, why I think as a consultancy, you, you must say, um, we give you this kind of purpose. What we can offer you is, for example, this entrepreneurial surrounding. You can develop and grow. You can create your own things. Of course, always within certain limits. That's clear. Um, you, of course, still have an attractive compensation package. Um, but most importantly, you have certain flexibility. And although we don't work nine to five, we still don't do this. And I would never in a certain way uh, um, uh, promise this to anyone in consulting. You can also sometimes have a very rough week. Um, at least you work rather smart. Uh, our idea, and we have a very, let's say, mature and, and grown up working model in our firm, is um, we are measured uh, or we measure the results and we measure the client satisfaction. And also there, I think this goes very well hand in hand, expectation of Gen Z and also client expectations. It is less focused on FaceTime. It is more focused on real impact. And through this, I think you can also, when you manage it right in between, that's in the task of the partners or in the end also operation of the project managers, you can really tell also um, applicants from Gen Z. Um, what you do here is you really have an impact you help clients with their challenges, with their problems. You grow personally because it is a client business and you will develop certain expertise in areas you may be interested in. And by the way, you will never get bored in consulting, which is anyways very uh, rare uh, because you have changing assignments. So if this is for you, of course, you have a certain uncertainty. You have high flexibility. On the other hand, you are also requested high flexibility in your work approach in travel times and so on. If this is for you, it is a perfect job. And this is what I would tell everyone. It still is a very nice job if you like this. If you rather like it extremely planable, extremely structured in the sense of, you know exactly what happens the next day and you know exactly how to approach every topic, consulting is anyways not for you. Yeah. And this is, this is, I think, some people find their purpose and the right mix among these topics. Um, and this is how you get today's uh, consultants into the firm. And I think this is the right spirit. Um, you may still get some of the, the old-fashioned, uh, um, uh, let's say, consultants as well, who think money, prestige, compensation, still good in, in uh, consulting, and, um, but they are not in the majority anymore. And by the way, I would also always say when it's about money and prestige, there's maybe even other sectors where you make more money. <laughs> yeah. And the prestige of other companies right now, I mean, the big software companies, if you were at Amazon, Google or whatnot, I mean, it's almost the same kind of pedigree that you get if you survive there for a couple of years. It's almost the same as going to a consulting company. So I'm with you. And when I, when I could summarize, and you can correct me if I did it wrong, um, the big difference, I mean, everybody has to pay you nice and good because if you don't, you don't even like get get someone thinking about you. Um, but then on top, you have to uh, show them that you do work that that matters. Um, and everybody has a different um, um, like angle on that. And that's maybe a differentiation factor. And you don't do how you call it the stupid work. Um so I remember sometimes doing doing stuff until midnight where I thought, and it was obvious for me, that is just something to cover like the 0.01% of chance that someone wants to see this in a meeting. So you made slides over slides for no reason. And you made slides, by the way, which I think is also not really necessary for someone who's paid so much. 
you should rather do uh, thinking work and not um, like doing this stupid, like I, I put one dot rather on the top right than on the top left. So um, I think it would be interesting for me also to see how this is done right now. Um, I remember that like, to be honest, half of my time was done with stupid work and 50% of the time was done where I thought, okay, this is really adding value to the client. And what you also do, which I, I cannot remember that well, and I've been at several consulting companies also as a freelancer is that um, you include the client feedback in a measurable way so that it's important that the client is happy and not that you do a lot of stuff. Exactly. And I think what, what, what you describe is a good example of, let's say, let me call it not optimal management. Yeah. And, and pretty often then starting, it always starts at the top. Yeah. From the partners who need to steer their clients because expectation management has to be done on, on, on the highest level um, with the client. And I mean, there are still also clients who require, let's say, uh, the consultants to be in their office yeah, for a certain amount of time. They, they, they pass by, maybe they want to see that the people they pay for, they're actually there. But again, this is not, not the rule anymore. This is more or less becoming the exception, particularly after the virtual um, uh, work um, uh, we did in the last years, we had to do in the last years, yeah. And um, apart from that, also the same topic about the slides. Yeah, um, there is always clients who say, I, I want to have uh, some more detail here and another slide there. But pretty often this is also due to insecurity. And the same is true then also for, for some partners who, who steer the process that way. Um, what you described, have another slide here and a backup there. Uh, I remember normally the, the best um, uh, pitches and the best conversations were with very little slides. So show you, I have something at hand and I have something to discuss because you don't know me. But normally when people know me, um, we can have a very good conversation and I can always, um, let's say, hand in or show, let's say, the, the thoughts, the ideas, the approach within two or three slides uh, afterwards. But um, in the past, particularly those who were very insecure, prepared more and more and more slides, made analyses for the purpose of analyses but not with the real working hypotheses in mind, not with real, let's say, um, um, empathy for the client and the, the, the problem at hand. Mm -hmm. And I think this, this is also one of the things, um, and I'm not saying that I'm doing it all the time perfectly right. Yeah, you can never look into uh, the head of the other side. That's also what makes the, the job so challenging, but also interesting and rewarding in the end. Because sometimes you're right and you still also learn, uh, even as a partner. Um, but uh, trying to to also, let's say, uh, having the, the optimal approach and not wasting time on, uh, as you said, stupid work. And for me, stupid work is, is not only just uh, making the slide, but also, uh, let's say, uh, redundant analysis. Um, um, let's say answering a question that would never be asked. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. just just to, to yeah, the, 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 these are the things uh, that you should try to avoid. And I think you can always get better, no matter which level. And that's at least my ambition. And that's also, um, again, what what I think our company also stands for. We have several of these 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 aspects. For example, we also have a graphics department. So some of these things are uh, more or less outsourced uh, from the concerns, although they also, of course, draw slides. It's not inflationary that you can just send, send some stuff there and it comes back pretty. Uh, this is not the way, but um, at least you can more or less manage your time intelligently and work at least 80, 90% of the time on the real important stuff. Yeah, I like it. I still remember one project that I did as a freelancer for, I think it was 13 months, like um, coming in with a new managing director for a pharma company for the German market um, and helping them reorganize the sales force um, in a structured way. And he told me, and I talked to him in the beginning, I was the project leader at that point of time. I told him, okay, what do you really want to achieve? What's important for you? And just asking these questions, uh, it was super. And then I really asked him, is it important for you? As I said, that we are physically there all the time or do you rather want to have resides um, and the resides we align on the beginning? And maybe the advantage was he was a former BCG and McKinsey cons uh, like consultant and then switched um, to, to the industry. And he said, yeah, no, I don't really care when you're here. As long as you deliver what we pro what you promised, we are all happy in it. It, it maybe not the, the norm, but we arrived at nine o'clock at the client side and we left at six o'clock. Uh, some, not always, of course, when it comes to some, some deadlines for, for like intermediate de deadlines, we have to work a week or two really hard. 
But that client was super happy and they prolonged the project for that company over and over again. So um, I I have some some ideas on what you're talking about from my limited experience as a consultant and freelancer, but I like the the I, the notion of you of working efficiently towards uh, making the client happy because that's in the end what what matters and nothing else. Because I was on the other side, yeah, in, in, in the retail industry, and I was actually also then, then writing the RFPs, and we were getting the, the consultants on board, and, and also then steered the process from the other side. It was the same to us, and we were a team also of X consultants working in the strategy and value creation department. So we also had a very, uh, let's say, let's say modern look at it, because... Uh, when you when you feel insecure about the process, when you feel insecure about getting a consultant in first place, yeah, you want him to be there maybe, or you want, yeah, yeah, it, it, it makes all sense. Your, your clients are spending a lot of money, and I understand that. But uh, in the end, the more the trust grows, and this is again because it doesn't only go towards the clients, but only if you yourself are not insecure about everything. So you need to be also the partner. You need to stay in touch with your client. You need to have the presence there. You need to know what is going on. You need to have a capable project manager doing the same thing on the other levels and then really focus on what is relevant and generating the impact. Otherwise, it also doesn't work because then you have high expectations and you're working into the wrong direction. This would then also cause lots of uh, additional work and stupid work. Yeah, yeah. I really like what you're saying. Um, would have loved to work like this when I started as a consultant. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So Sebastian, we are already at the end of our conversation and I have um, some rapid fire questions lined up for you. Um, mm -hmm. Are you ready? Sure. So first one, how do you keep um, body and mind fit and sharp? So um, uh, body, uh, at the moment, it's uh, mostly jogging, running. I'm preparing for another half marathon this year. Oh, nice. So I'm not, not daring to do the marathon. Time does not permit, and I think I'm too old for that. But uh, Oh, you never told for a marathon if you can train enough. But um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I just I, try I, to find an excuse. No, but but this is really, I think, um, we, we also, um, my wife and I, we just have a young daughter. So there's many other things involved. So half marathon is the, the most I can, I can, I can stretch my, my other... <laughs> free time i think for that um how much just one question how much are you running like how many hours a week or kilometers roughly so um i i go more or less according to to the plan so three months before the half marathon i try to do at least about 30 kilometers per week okay in three to four training sessions okay that's reasonable that's good yeah that's reasonable and i think it's it's also doable even when you are in consulting and have other other things on the agenda that's 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 possible um, so for the mind, it is, uh, let's say, I, I read a lot, uh, different topics from A to Z. I'm not only reading uh, Lebensmittelzeitung, which of course I do, but also um, uh, uh, other interesting reads uh, on philosophy, history. And um, particularly what I like to do is uh, learn languages. And uh, I, I told you in the intro, um, due to my wife's family, uh, last one, and I'm still working on this, is Latvian. And most importantly, at the moment, uh, playing with my little daughter. That's the, um, I think, for overall um, mental health and, and fun, it's the best thing to do. Uh, that's nice to hear. And I um, I can relate a little bit. I'm, I'm not a natural language learner, um, but I'm half Tunisian and my wife is Tunisian. So I'm learning like the Tunisian Arabic now, uh, which is not the high Arabic. So uh, that's really tough for me because there are no proper textbooks on that. Um, oh, okay. and, um, because of course, once we have, uh, kids, they will learn Arabic and Tunisian Arabic from, from the get go. And I have to understand everything that the mother and they are talking about. Otherwise that's going to be a big problem. <laughs> so I'm also diving into language learning. Um, but I, I like it. It's, it's more tough for me than for you probably. I'm actually quite, I'm actually quite lazy when it comes to vocabulary and this is really exhausting. But but overall, and when you when you when you once get started, I, I really enjoy it. Do you have a favorite business book or generally book that you love to read or read? Yes, um, I think uh, one of my favorites is really um, "Gute Führung" from Burkhard Schwenker. It's a very short-term uh, book. I really liked uh, to read. I read it, I think, three or four times. I think it is a good one. It's worthwhile and it's not too long. Um, when I was younger, and this is maybe also going um, then to some some younger consultants who are interested in strategy, I think the best book on really learning how to do the, the strategy consulting, this big myth of real strategy, um, 
What I really liked is The Craft of Strategy Formation. Um, it's it's a book from uh, Peter Wittewein, um, I think. Um, and uh, I really liked it because it is closest to really understanding when you have, maybe when you also from run operations consulting, management consulting, understanding how um, really strategy consulting is done. Excellent book. Um, and overall, what I really love reading, it's uh, maybe not directly a business book, but is uh, Thinking Fast and Slow from Daniel Kahneman is, I think, one of the, the best books ever. And now we are already at the end. Now you can directly address our audience, uh, Sebastian. And um, well, is there anything we can help you with? Yes, uh, very happy if um, you approach me um, Yeah, on topics regarding Porsche Consulting regarding retail consumer business. Uh, so that's where I would hopefully help you with, as well as um, when you're looking for, for an interesting, nice job. And I, I hope I could sell it to a certain extent also, uh, although I did not try to oversell it. No, just realistically, um, we, are, we are looking, of course, for, for new colleagues uh, on all levels in all industries, not only our industry. Um, and happy also there. Um, um, if yeah, people contact me, uh, I will be also at several university events uh, within the next weeks. Uh, I will be in uh, some panels as well. Uh, you can always approach me, um, contact me. Very good. And how can people uh, get in touch with you best? I think easiest is really uh, through LinkedIn or Xing. Um, because I have my profiles there, um, just drop me drop me a message or connect. So we put the, the link to, to LinkedIn in the in the show notes. And if someone is just listening, so it's um, Sebastian uh, and then H-O, so the last name, Hobbit Engbeding. So it's H-O-V-E-S-T uh, minus E-N-G-B-E-R-D-I-N-G. So yeah. that's how you find them. And there are probably not many retail uh, partners or associate partners at Porsche Consulting. So even if you have problems with the name, uh, you will yeah. find them if you want to. It is it is it is very simple and and actually because I just call myself only Sebastian because the other name is also too long, but if my second name is too too complicated, my actual first full name is Jan Sebastian also with with a, a slash between. You will also find me. It's also not so many Jan Sebastians out there. I think in entire LinkedIn. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Uh, that's it. It was a true pleasure to have you on our show. Yeah. Thank you for for having me once again. It was uh, very very nice to talk to you. If you liked the show, please leave us a rating and subscribe to our podcast to never miss a new episode. Do you want to win big whale clients, find new employees and become a renowned thought leader in your field? So who can help? Simply schedule a strategy call with our host, Sammy Gebele. Get in touch on LinkedIn or via sawoo.io, S-A-W-O-O.io. You can also find all contact details in our show notes. Thanks and see you next time.